Welcome to Impact Church's podcast with Pastor Travis Hearn. Pastor Travis also serves as the team pastor for the NBA's Phoenix Suns and has served Major League Baseball as the team chaplain for over a decade. Today, he leads us with a powerful and hope-filled message. We're so glad you're tuning in, and we believe that wherever you're listening from, that God will impact your life through today's message. I want to get into the Word today, and um, I want to start by reading in Matthew chapter 14, and I'm going to read verses 13 through 21. Matthew 14, verses 13 through 21. It says this, when Jesus heard the news about John, he left there in a boat and he went to a lonely place by himself. let's, Let's just stop for a minute. Let's kind of walk through this passage. So it says, when he heard the news about John, John was his cousin, John the Baptist. And, uh, he heard the news about John, meaning his cousin was beheaded. John the Baptist had been beheaded for the cause of Jesus Christ. So he hears this news and it says he left there in a boat and he went to a lonely place by himself. And then it says the people heard about it. And so they left their towns and they followed Jesus by land. Verse 14, Jesus got out of the boat and when he saw a large crowd, his heart was filled with pity for them and healed their sick. Now, b- before we move on, because this isn't what I'm preaching today, but it's what I'm preaching today for just a minute. This is the heartbeat of ministry. It is the ability to put your own desire, your own hurt, your own pain aside long enough to meet the needs of other people. That's ministry. Jesus finds out his, his cousin had been murdered for his sake. And he's going to go to a lonely place by himself just to have a moment. And as he's on his way, the crowds say, there's Jesus, there's Jesus, there's Jesus. Jesus sees the crowds and it says he has compassion on them. That is what ministry is. If you're married, that's what marriage is. It's putting myself aside to meet the needs of my wife. It's her putting her desires, her self aside to meet the needs of, of her husband. And so, so let's go on. Verse uh, 15. That evening, the disciples, they came to him and they said, uh, actually, verse 14. Jesus got out of the boat and when he saw the large crowd, his heart was filled with pity for them and he healed their sick. Verse 15. That evening, his disciples, he came to Jesus and they said it's already very late it's a it, this is a lonely place we're out in the middle of nowhere so the so let's send the people away and let them go to the villages to buy food for themselves verse 16 if you're with me say i'm with you, I'm with you. verse 16 they don't have to leave Jesus answered you yourselves give them something to eat verse 17 all we have here are five loaves and two fish Look at somebody and say, all we have here, all we have here, all we have here, all we have here are five loaves and two fish. They replied, verse 18, then bring them here to me. Jesus said, and he ordered the people to sit on the grass and he took the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven and he gave thanks to God. He broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people and everyone ate and had, what does it say? They had enough. Then the disciples took up the 12 baskets full of what was left over and the number of men who ate 
was about 5,000, not counting the women and the children. So I, I want you to just look at verse 17 with me again. Verse 17. He says, all we have here are five loaves and two fish. All we have here. All we have here. Jesus, we cannot feed all these people because all we have is five and two. That's, that's not enough. All we have is not enough. H- have you ever felt like all you had to offer wasn't enough? Have you ever felt like when you've given everything, it really didn't seem like it was anything? What are your loaves and what are your fish today? What are your loaves and fish? And where in your life do you feel like, man, this, I'm coming up short in this area. I've given all I have to this marriage. I've given all I have to this relationship and it just doesn't seem to be enough. I've given everything to my husband and it's not enough. I've given everything, all I've got to my wife and it just doesn't seem like it's enough. It doesn't seem like it's ever enough. I have given all the Jesus Christ I know how to give to my child, but man, it just doesn't seem like it was enough. And that's what I want to talk about today because it seems like we don't have, you know, you give all you got, but we just don't have enough time. We don't have enough patience. We don't have enough grace. We don't have enough forgiveness. We don't have enough confidence, esteem. We don't have enough character. We don't have enough faith. All we have here are five loaves and two fish. So I woke up this morning and I came to church to preach a message to you called give it to God. Look at somebody and tell them, give it to God, give it to God, give it to God, give it to God. Wherever you're coming up short, give it to God. I want to pray. Father, thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We pray you would speak to us, God, especially speak to the person next to us, God. In Jesus' name, we all say amen. Amen. Let's give Jesus a clap. Come on, give him a clap, clap, clap. Give it to God. Give it to God. Say it out loud again. Give it. Give it to God. Whatever you have in your life that you are feeling like is not enough, give it to God. I I love verse 17 because he says all we have, but then verse 18, verse 18, he says, then bring them here to me, right? This is all I have, Jesus. All I have is this. It's not going to feed all these people. I don't have enough. Verse 18, then bring them here to me. If you don't have enough, bring it to God. Bring it to Jesus. Give it to God. God, I'm going to give you everything I've got. Because the Bible says that Jesus, God, is our portion. The Bible says that God and his word is our daily bread. Whatever you have, bring it to me. I want you to look at Psalm 55, 22 with me for a minute. Psalm 55, 22. Let's read this verse together aloud. Here we go. Cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. Come on, somebody should say amen to that. Amen to that. I want to give you three things today that you can take notes on that, that take place when you give whatever it is that you have to God. 
Three things that happen when you give everything to God. Not some things, not part of something, but when I give everything to God, when I give where I'm coming up short, man, my relationship, God, I give it to you. I give my child to you. I give this situation to you. Three things that happen. Number one, if you're ready, let me hear you say I'm ready. Number one, I am giving up my need to control. Woo, here we go. We're going to jump on in. God, I'm giving this situation to you and my desire to control the outcome. We, we love to control because we think if I can just control this person, if I can just control this situation, if I can just control this relationship, this outcome, that will make everything okay. That will give me this peace that I am longing for. If I can just control this situation, but the opposite is what's actually true, right? The more you kind, you, the more you try to control, the more you feel out of control. So I think, man, if I if I just try to control this situation. I'll be better off, but what happens is I'm worse off because the reality is you can't control anything. You cannot control anything. And so the more you try to control, the more you lose control, the more you feel out of control. When you try to control something, you're actually trying to take away the power from God. When you try to control something, You're playing God. And listen, you're not a very good God. You're playing God. That's not your role. That's not your lane. God is in control. You are not in control. God is in control. He's got a higher perspective. He he can see further down the road. I love what it says in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Look at somebody and tell them, thank God. God does not think like you. Tell somebody, thank God. He does not think like you. He says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways. You know your ways are not God's ways. I I heard this question uh, a few months ago, and and I was thinking about this when I read this verse today. If all your prayers were answered, would it change the world or just your world? Right? His ways are not our ways. He says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My perspective is limited. Your perspective is limited. We can only see what's right in front of us. It'd be like driving down the freeway. You're on loop 101 or the 202 or the 10 or whatever freeway you want, pick one. And you're driving down the freeway and all of a sudden you come up into some traffic and everybody's going really, really slow. Pretty soon you're going about five miles an hour. Pretty soon you're stopped on the freeway, right? And and let's, let's just pretend it's not 2022. It's 1995. There are no cell phones. There's no GPS system. There's no map because now, you know, you jump into your map or ways or whatever. And you're like, oh yeah, there's an accident there. But you yourself have no idea what's going on because you can't see that far. 
You can only see the cars that are right in front of you. So I don't know if I should get off on this exit or that exit. I don't know if I should take this detour or that detour because my perspective is limited. This happened to me last week at the Cardinals game. Arizona Cardinals played, I don't know if they played football, but they were in the arena. I saw them on the field and, 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 and I'm leaving the game and I got to drop my nephew off. Right? And my nephew came with us. I said, I'm going to drop meeting my sister-in-law. And she's like, hey, how about we get off on Glendale? And, and we'll meet at this gas station. It's a great idea. And, and, and I get to Glendale and it wouldn't let me turn left. Well, I didn't know that. So it took me about 30 more minutes to get my nephew an eighth of a mile down the road. Right? We have a limited perspective. God has an unlimited perspective. He can see tomorrow. He can see next week. He can see next year. I can't control anything because I have limited perspective and I have limited power. Okay? Everybody, everybody tries to control certain things. Everybody does. But then there's those people that take control to a whole nother level. And we call them control freaks. Anybody honest enough to say you're kind of a control freak? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. How many of you are sitting next to a control freak? Raise your hand. You're like, oh yeah, I'll tell the truth on them. I'm a control freak. That's another, that's another level. And, and, And by the way, it's called control freak because you, you are a freak. Let's focus in on the freak part. Because a lot of times we say control freak like it's a good thing. No, it's a, you a freak. Like it's not a good thing. Right? And here's what happens is with the control freaks, they, they really want to control outcomes, situations. Not just outcomes. They want to control the beginning, the middle, and the end. They want to control everything. And I got news for all y'all control freaks today. You have never in your life ever actually been in control of anything. Never, never. But you thought you were, so that made you feel better. The more you try to control, the more your life seems to spin out of control. There's two reasons for this. I want to give you, give you two reasons, A and B. Okay. A, the reason is, is you don't know how to control. You cannot control because you are not God. You are not God, so therefore you are not sovereign. Because you're not sovereign, you're not all-knowing, you're not all-powerful, you're not smart enough, you're not wise enough, you're not sovereign enough to actually control anything in your life. You're not even spiritual enough to have any self-control, let alone control somebody else. Yeah, I know, 14 of you got, got behind that one. You don't know how to control. I, I love to, I love to fly. I, I started thinking about this because people, people will ask like, you know, what are your hobbies? What do you love to do? I'm pretty boring. I don't love anything. But then I started thinking, I do love to fly. I love to fly. Is anybody a pilot in here? Anybody? Raise your hand if you're a pilot. You got a pilot over here. Anybody else? You got a couple pilots, one in the back, two in the back, three in the back, a few pilots. I love to fly. And, and I've flown in so many different planes and, and, and it, to me, it just never gets old. I love to fly. And then I married a woman who 
She'd prefer to stay out of a plane if at all possible. Why would you get into a plane when you can be perfectly safe on the ground? And, and, but I love to fly. And I've had the privilege of, of flying in some of these small planes that fly out of Scottsdale. And, you know, I've gotten to sit in the co-pilot seat and think I'm cool acting like I'm flying a plane. I love to fly so much. I've thought about getting my pilot's license because I love to fly. I love it. I love to fly. And so I, I was thinking, this was maybe a few years ago, but I was riding flying co-pilot and, and my friend who's the pilot, his name is Sean. He's flying. He's the man and he's flying this plane. And I had this thought cross my mind. What would happen if Sean just killed over right now and died. I know it's a morbid thought, but it's the way I think. I'm thinking like, what would happen if Sean just like, what would I do? Right? What would I do? Well, the problem is I don't know how to fly a plane. That's a major, that's a major problem right there. If Sean, if Sean dies, I've had this same thought in, laying inside of an MRI machine. Have you ever had this? I'm inside this tube that I barely fit in. I don't know how y'all that are bigger than me do it because my shoulders, my chest, everything, my nose is touching the top. And I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, I'm inside this machine. I'm thinking, what happens if that technician over there just falls and dies? I've had the thought. And I said, if that happens, I'm stuck. And then I started getting claustrophobic. Like, my God, I can't breathe. Get me out. I'm squeezing the thing. Get me out. You good? Yeah, I just thought for a second you died. Like, are you good? Because if you're good, I'm good. So I didn't hear nothing from you for about two and a half minutes. I started freaking out. Who can feel me on that? You can feel that. And so I'm thinking like, dude, if this, if my pilot guy dies, we're dying. All of us. Because I don't know how to fly the plane. Right? I think I've never done this. I don't have the experience to do this. I'm not educated enough to do this. I have no idea what I'm doing. And, and not only am I in trouble, and not only is my life in trouble, but anybody else is on that plane, they're in trouble. And that's what happens when you try to control a situation. Not only are you going to mess up your own life, but you're going to mess up everybody else's life that's with you because you cannot control a situation. You cannot control outcomes. The need to control can be very, very costly. It it can cost you your marriage. It can cost you your family, the need to control. It can cause me to lie. It can, can cause me to manipulate. The more I try to control, the more fear. The more I try to control, the more worry and anxiety. So here's number two, letter A, a letter B, whatever letter that is, whatever the second letter of the alphabet is, that's this one. Here we go. B, the more you try to control, the more your life spins out of control because B, God's trying to teach you to trust him. God's trying to teach you To not put your trust in yourself, but to put your trust in him. Quit trying to play God. Quit dethroning God and trying to take the power from him because God is God. He is all powerful. He is almighty. He is all knowing. Uh, Remember this verse, Proverbs 3, 5. I want to read 
verse 5, but also verse 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Let's read it together. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. In all your ways, submit to him. Say that part. In all your ways, submit to him. Tell somebody you love today. In all your ways, submit to him. In all your ways means this. In all my ways, I submit my life to you. God, in all my ways, I submit my mind to you. I submit my heart to you. I submit my relationship to you. I submit this marriage to you. I submit my husband to you. I submit my wife to you. I submit our problems to you. I submit this horrible situation to you. I I submit this terrifying situation to you. I submit my prodigal child to you. I submit my worries and my fears to you because I trust you. Because I trust you. Now, now listen, Sometimes we say, God, I trust you with our mouths, but we don't trust him with our lives. God, I trust you, but we don't really trust him. We're trying to control the situation. I'm trying to control it. And and so I, I have a question. Has anybody ever given you something and then tried to control it? Can you think of anything? They, they've tried to give you something. And I was thinking about this. I have a list of things in my life that people have given me. And, and then they give me parameters. If you gave me something, there are no parameters, baby. I'm going to do whatever I'm going to do with it. You, you can hope. I'm going to give this to you. But <laughs> like when I got my first car, I'm going to give this to you. But I don't want you taking this thing off road. I don't want you going climbing up mountains. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm finding dirt roads and mountains, baby. You can give me something, but you can't control the outcome. If you truly, if you truly give somebody something, you gave the control away as well. What I'm trying to say is it's theirs now when you give it to god you are giving up the control to god because you trust god because you trust him okay let's look at number two the real number two number two the second thing when i give it to god i give up my worries man i thought everybody at amen but three of you dealing with worry today That's it. I'm giving up my worries. You know what I've learned in 30 years? In 30 years, almost. No, it's 30 years. In 30 years of following Jesus, I've learned this, is that he is trustworthy. He is trustworthy. God can be trusted God can be trusted. God can be trusted with everything. He can be trusted with everything in my life. I need to understand that worry, worry and trust, they go hand in hand. Because if I don't 
listen, if I don't trust you, that's when I start to worry. If I don't trust you, I start to worry about you. If I don't trust that you're going to make good decisions, then I worry about you. I'm worried about the situation because I don't trust you. Some of you, you don't trust your husband. You don't trust your wife. It's because of past bad decisions. It's not that I don't want to trust you. It's that I don't trust you because of poor decisions. Now I'm worried about it. I worry about it. I'm worried about it. Listen, if I don't trust you to make good decisions, I worry. If I don't trust you to finish a job, then I'm worried about it. If I don't trust you to do what you say you're going to do, then I worry about it. I don't know if anybody has employees, but I, I have, I don't know, a team of 40-ish, I think, full-time employees at the church. And, and I don't want to roll anybody out with my team. But so, so let's just play make-believe and pretend this doesn't happen because it, it, it's make-believe. But, but if, if I say, if I say, Sam, I need you to do this. Will you do this for me? Yes, PT, I will do that for me. If you're trustworthy, I walk away and I never think about it again, ever. Because I know, I, I don't know if all y'all know, my, my, my right-hand man yet, Andre Wadsworth. Anybody know Andre? Andre Wadsworth. Andre, Andre and I have been together for almost 13 years now. Andre Wadsworth is trustworthy. I could give him a list of 48,000 things to do. And every one of them is going to be done. And it's going to be done well, with excellence. When I give Andre an idea, a thought, when he starts to run with something, I never think about it ever again because he's trustworthy. But then I have some other make-believe employees (laughs) where I say, Sam, will you do this? Yes. (laughs) You going to do it, right? Yes. Sam, what are you doing right now? You're going to do what I wanted you to do? Yes. Okay, good. Because I don't want to think about it anymore. I want to trust you, but you don't have the best record, Sam. I want to trust you. Keegan, you're going to do what I want you to do? Yes, PT, I'm going to do what I need you to do. Okay. And then what happens is you're the one, Keegan. You're the one. You're the one. You're the one. It's not the Andre. You're the one at 2 a.m. why I can't sleep. Because I lay there and I go, I wonder if Keegan did what I asked him. I wonder if Keegan did what I asked him. I wonder if Keegan, I'm worried. I don't know if Keegan did. I wonder if Keegan made that phone call. I wonder if Keegan actually called that person that needed help. I wonder if Keegan, I wonder if Keegan, I wonder if Keegan. And then what happens is there are certain people that have certain track records, Keegan. This is all make-believe. And then two months later, somebody sends us a message and goes, yeah, I reached out and I never got contacted by so-and-so. And And then I'm like, "Woo!" (laughs) And I'm a pastor, which is a really hard position because for you or corporate America, you're like, you're fired. Get out. I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to be Mr. Nice Guy, no matter what. God forbid. 
I hold people accountable. What I'm trying to say is, is that God is trustworthy. That's why I give up my worry to him because he can be trusted. He can be trusted. Listen, if, if God can be trusted, can you hand your, your situation over to him and walk away? And never think about it again because God can be trusted. He's trustworthy. He does a good job. He's dependable. He's faithful. He does what he said he's going to do. He does it better than we think he could ever do it. He is going to go far above anything we could expect, imagine, dream of because he's trustworthy. He's trustworthy. He sees your situation. He's not like Moses, Elijah, my God. Come look at this. They're going through a divorce. I had no idea. He saw it. He sees it. He sees you. He sees your situation. God can be trusted. You can give it to God because he's trustworthy. If I trust you, I'm giving it to you. And I'm never thinking about it again. If I trust you, I'm giving it to you. And I don't have to think about it any more. God is trustworthy. I don't have to worry. You know, Jesus talked about worry and I want to read this. It's it's a few scriptures. It's in Matthew. And I want to read this to you in verse, uh, starting in chapter six. These are the words of Jesus. He's talking about worry. Verse 25, verse 25, Jesus said, therefore, I tell you, Do not worry about your life, what you will eat, about your body, what you will wear. Let's read that first verse out loud together. Verse 25. Ready? Here we go. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, about your body, or what you will wear. Who agrees this verse had to have been written for Scottsdale, Arizona? I mean, yeah. Because when I read that verse, it's very convicting. Do not worry about your life. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink. Don't worry about your body. (laughs) My God, help all of us. Or what you'll wear. And and what's crazy about this verse is, in all seriousness, this verse means something completely different depending on where you live in the world. Because to you and I, this verse is like, you know, don't worry about getting all that plastic surgery. Don't worry about getting all those lip and hip injections. Don't worry about all the Botox. Don't worry about all the name brand stuff. Don't worry. It doesn't have to be from Neiman Marcus. It can be from Walmart. Shirt is a shirt. To you and I, it could mean, it could mean that. But I've been in villages in Africa where this takes on an entirely different meaning because they literally are worried about putting something on their body that covers them. Jesus is saying, don't worry. I'm going to provide it for you. You don't have to worry about it because I'm involved in this. I am going to take care of you. Don't worry about what you will wear. I'm going to put something on your back. I'll never forget when I was in Rwanda, after I was in Rwanda, and we went to stop at this waterfall, this this beautiful waterfall. 
and, and, our, and our friends, the pastors there, they were saying, hey, there's going to be these street kids that come up to you and they're going to they're gonna ask for money. Do not give them money. Do not give them money. And he said, the reason you don't want to give them money is these street kids, they're owned by pimps. And it's not sexual stuff, but it's, it's money and it's business and it's control. These street kids have no families and these corrupt people have taken them in to control them and they use them to target tourists to get money and they don't get any of it and they're treated poorly and they're abused in every way imaginable. Don't give them any money. I was not ready for that. We get out to look at this waterfall. This little guy, he's probably eight, probably eight. I'm just guessing. Hey, Meester, Meester, you got a hundred dollars for my school supplies. I'll buy pencils and notebooks. You got a, he's, he's pulling on my shirt. You got a hundred dollars. I was not ready for that. I didn't even look at the kid. You know what I'm saying? Like when you pull up and there's a homeless person and you're like, don't look, don't look, don't look, don't look, don't look. Just act like you don't see them. You see them. Act like you don't see them and they don't see you. They see you and they know you saw them and they know you're not looking at them. But I'm like paralyzed. I don't know what to do. He says, oh, you don't speak English. You speak uh, French. And he starts talking to me in fluent French. Oh, you don't speak French. You speak Kenya Rwandan. <laughs> yeah, bro. Like... My native language is Kenya Rwandan. How, how many of how many of you know you, you're going to sell yourself out here? But how many of you remember the cartoon, the Flintstones? Anybody remember the Flintstones? The Flintstones, the Flintstones. That's all I can. This this child looked like he was in a Flintstones outfit. It was like a potato sack draped over his body. He was super dirty, filthy. It smelled terrible. See, th- this, is, this verse means something entirely different to them than it does to us. You know, we, we got first world problems over here. Should I go with the $100 shoes or the $500 shoes? Should I go with the $500 shoes or the $1,000 shoes? Should I go with the $1,000 shoes or the $2,000 shoes? First world problems. Third world problems. Can I get a pair of shoes? I hope I could get a pair of shoes. I really need a pair of shoes. So, so this passage is powerful because he says, let's move on. He says, is life not more important than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't store away in barns. Yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor. They don't spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon and all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. Verse 30, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Whoo! For the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. This is the third Sunday in a row I've shared this scripture. And all things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen. 
Look at verse 32. For the pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. Your heavenly father knows. Your heavenly father knows. He knows what you need before you even know that you need it. He knows what you need, when you need it, how you need it. So I can trust him and I give my worries over to him. Let's look at number three. The final one this morning. Number three, when I give all I've got to God. Number three, he makes something out of nothing. If you only give him part of it, he can't, he can't do everything he wants to do with it. He can't, he can't do it all because you only give him part of it. You're going to give him everything. God, I want you to fix this. And so here it is. I'm getting out of the way. God, here's my, here's my, my fish and here's my, my bread. God, this is all I've got. This is everything I've got. God, will you do something with it? And you give God all you got. And this this is true in every area of your life. When you give God all you've got, he takes it, he breaks it, and he multiplies it. Every single time. In every single area of your life. Some of you will never experience the supernatural multiplication of God. Because you'll never give him everything. He takes it, he breaks it, and he multiplies it. Look back at these scriptures. He took the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven and he gave thanks to God. He broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples and the disciples to the people. I love this. Verse 20, everyone ate and had enough. Then the disciples took the 12 baskets full of what was left over. And the number of men who ate was about 5,000, not including the women and the children. You know what? I I think about this verse a lot. I think about this passage a lot when I'm down at the sun's arena. Because if you add in wives and children, um, the women and the children you probably have about an arena full, an NBA arena full of people that Jesus fed. He, he took nothing and turned it into something. See, when you give God all you've got, he, get, he gives you more than you need. When you give him everything, 5,000 men plus women plus children I fed them all with five loaves of bread and two fish. And when we were done, we had 12 basketfuls left over. See, God has a reputation of making a way out of no way. God specializes in making roads through the rivers. He's kind of known for bringing dead things back to life. God makes a way out of no way. Way back in the beginning of the Bible, this is where his reputation started. And you know how reputations are built, right? One moment at a time. One situation at a time. Keegan, you built that reputation not on one time, but on 15 times. The one time I said, Keegan, you're going to do what you're going to do? And you said, yeah. And you did it. And I was really proud of you. This is all make-believe. And so then the second time I did it, yeah, I did it. Proud. The third time, you didn't do it, man. You didn't do it. Fourth time, you did it. Fifth time, you didn't do it. <laughs> 
sixth time you did it, seventh time you didn't do it. You're building the reputation, not me. I'm not the problem. God is not the problem. We're building this reputation. What I love about the reputation of God is it's dependable. It's faithful. It's the same every time. God makes something out of nothing. Way back in Genesis, he started making stuff out of nothing. He makes something in the beginning. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the what? The heavens and the earth. He created the heavens and the earth out of nothing. Nothing. He created light out of darkness. In darkness, out of nothing. He created land and water out of nothing. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 2 through 5, it says that the earth was formless and empty. And darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the water. Then God said... Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And then he separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness night. Then God made man out of the dust of the ground. Genesis chapter 2 verse 7. Then the Lord formed the man out of the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils. And the man became a living person. What? Then in Genesis 2 22. Then the Lord God made a woman, a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. See, this is more proof that God can make something out of absolutely nothing. God, God made a woman out of a man. (laughs) You, You ladies owe me for that one. I... And all throughout scripture, God makes something out of nothing. He gives sight to the blind. He gives sound to the deaf. He gives legs to the lame. He gives healing to the sick. And he gives hope to the hopeless. And he turns water into wine. This is just like what he does. This is his reputation. You don't have to guess. I wonder if God's going to do this. It's his reputation. It's proven. It's tried. It's always the same. God specializes in making something out of nothing. You give him everything you've got. He takes it. He breaks it. He multiplies it. And then you're going to have leftovers. He does the same thing for you spiritually, emotionally, physically, relationally. Give it to God and he will make a way out of no way. When you're back are up against the wall and you're stuck between a rock and a hard place. That's when he likes to part the seas. He's known for it. He's a way maker. Ephesians 3.20 is, as everybody probably knows by now, my favorite verse in the Bible. Ephesians 3.20. It says, now all glory to God who is able Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. He's able. God is able. If you didn't hear anything else I said today, I want you to hear that whatever your situation is today, God is able. He's able. He's almighty. He's almighty. He's all powerful. He's, he is in control of the universe. He is able. 
Would you bow your heads with me? And I'll close us in prayer. God, we thank you that you are able. Through your mighty power, God, through your mighty power working within us, within our minds, within our hearts, within our families. God, our relationship that you are able to accomplish infinitely more than we could ask or think. Today, God, we come to you asking, thinking, dreaming, believing for for a move of God, for a touch of God. For a healing from God. For an answer to our prayers from, from the heavens. God, we come to you today asking because you are able. Because you are dependable and because you are trustworthy. God, we give it to you. God, whatever that it is, God, today we give it to you. We give it to you. God, we give our lives to you. We surrender. God, we will stop running, stop hiding. We surrender. We give our lives to you. If you're here today and you've never prayed to give your life to Jesus Christ, this is your moment. God, I give my life to you. I give you my life. I give you my heart. Thank you, Jesus, for giving me everything you had for me. Dying on that cross for me. Paying the price for me and my sins. Extending unconditional love. God, today we give it to you. God, today we give you marriages. God, we give you our marriage today. God, we give this situation in our relationship to you today. God, you are able. God, you are able. God, you are able. And Lord, we trust you because you're able and you're dependable. God, you can be counted on. God, that you would do a healing work. A healing work in our relationships. A healing work. God, we give this child to you. Because we trust you. Because you're dependable. Because you are able. God, we give this health battle to you. This battle in our bodies. God, we give it to you. We looked last week, God, about how we are the temples of the Holy Spirit. God, this temple is yours. God, we pray for healing. Healing in our minds, healing in our emotions, healing in our physical bodies. God, healing in the pain. God, that pain be gone. God, that wholeness fill us from the top of our heads to the bottoms of our feet, God. 
the healing power of Jesus Christ. For somebody that's just been beating themselves up and dealing with so much guilt. You almost can't be alone because your mind just just crucifies you. This is the very reason for the cross. It's the very reason Christ died. It's so that you would be free. I want you to know that the Bible says there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. He is not condemning you. Stop condemning yourself. God, I pray that every weight of guilt and shame be lifted today. Every weight, God, of guilt and shame. God, that the devil's trying to hold us down. He's trying to beat us down. He's trying to remind us of every stupid thing that we've done. But God, today, we give it to you. God, we give it to you. I pray for a weight of freedom and liberty. As the Bible says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And God, the spirit of the Lord is in this place today. God, we pray for liberty. We pray for freedom. God, we pray for your anointing. As the Bible says, it's the anointing, the presence of God, the power of God that breaks the strongholds, the yokes of bondage. Today, God, I pray for that anointing, God, to be broken in our lives. God, addiction to be broken. Addiction to be broken. Generational curses to become generational blessings. God, you can do more in one second than we can do in our whole lifetime. We could try to fix something for a decade and get nowhere. But God, in one second, in one second, God, you can fix it all. So God, I pray for that second, God, to be right now, right now. God, fix it. God, fix it. God, fix it. God, do it because we know that you are able. Thank you for joining us today. If you said that prayer and accepted Jesus into your heart, it's the best decision you could ever make. We want to celebrate with you and get you more connected. Visit www.impactchurch.com for more information about our church and how you can get plugged in here with us. Be sure to subscribe and share today's message with your friends. Thanks for tuning in, and we can't wait to hear how God has made an impact in your life.